Happy to see you here in two weeks in Easter. We're in Galatians chapter 6, almost finishing up with this book here and uh, getting toward the end. And, uh, you know, some of you know that we have a puppy, and I had someone tell me in the first service, quit calling that dog a puppy. That dog's huge because the dog is like 50 pounds, and when it stands up on its high legs, its face is like right here to me, all right? So uh, she's tall and big, and, uh, but she is still a puppy. She's just now six months old. And, of course, my children, when we uh, got this puppy, before we got it, you know, they told me that they, that they would do everything with the puppy, that they would take care of the puppy, that they would bathe the puppy, they would sleep with the puppy if they needed to, they'd walk, they, they did everything. Now, listen, I wasn't born yesterday, as we know, right? And I knew that they would say that, and I knew that they wouldn't do it, <laughs> you know? And so I said, okay, well, all right, well, I'm going to hold you to it. So day two, day three, it was kind of like, hey, I thought you said you'd do everything with this puppy. We're scared of the puppy. The puppy's bigger than us. So, and that is true. The puppy is bigger than them. But they do walk the, the dog. They do feed the dog. They do play with the dog on some level. And uh, when the dog's not knocking them over, they do train the dog, things like this. And so, and I tell them that as a member of this family, that you have some responsibility with the dog. I can't do it all. Mom can't do it all. We have to kind of spread the responsibility around. And they have other responsibilities as well. You know, a couple years ago, as my children started getting older, I started saying, uh, they would talk to me about, you know, where are my clothes? Why are my clothes not clean? I'm like, they're not clean because you haven't washed them, <laughs> you know? And so as they got older, I would say, now here's what you do. You put all your dirty clothes in this bin and you pick a day of the week because the washing machine runs six out of seven days a week in my house. So I said, you pick a day of the week, it's your day, and you bring them into the laundry room and I'll put them in there and wash them for you. But, you, you, you know, you got to bring them in and you're going to put them up. So for the most part, they do it. But every now and then, they get behind and they forget. And you know, pray for John David. You know, he's been so behind on his, he hasn't had clothes in a month. And uh, <laughs> he's two. I'm joking. No, not. You know. We don't do. He. he I'm, we're still doing his for sure. But the other two or three, you know, sometimes they get behind. But I tell them that I said, you know, the family is a place that you live and you get fed and you have a place to live and shelter and you have people that love you and take care of you. But you have responsibilities in the family that you must perform so that everyone in the family is taken care of. And likewise, as we grow in Christ-likeness on some level, we also must take responsibility of the spiritual needs of each other, of the spiritual growth of each other. And as members of a Christian community, as members of a church, there's many benefits this is why God saves us into community, not into ourselves, saves us into community. There are many benefits, and the reason that benefits exist in the church is because every other member, every other believer, every other Christian is also taking responsibility of each other, or they should be. So we're looking at one of those passages today that show us that we need to take responsibility for others. Galatians chapter 6, starting in verse 1. It says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. 
For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Heavenly Father, as we continue to come into worship with you today, Lord, we do thank you. We thank you that we can come in here and sing your praises for saving us and worship you. Today, Father, as we look at this passage, we look at a passage that concerns us taking care of each other, when one of us might fall aside, fall by the wayside or fall out of line, that we have a church community that is there to lovingly help each other. So, Father, I pray that you would show us what in our own lives we could do. If we are those that have fallen, that we could come back to you. And if we know someone who is far away from you, that we can help them. Lord, I pray that my words are yours today. I pray that you fill me with your spirit as your spirit uh, convicts us and encourages us and, and, and fills us today. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In the preceding passage, um, Paul was underscoring the importance of walking in the Spirit and keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. And today's passage is an elaboration of what walking with the Spirit continues to look like. So today we're going to emphasize that walking in the Spirit has this idea of being responsible for others, especially when they fall into patterns of sin and lose their step. And that's the benefit of living free in grace. When we have the freedom to be agents of grace, we don't have to worry about how we're saved. We don't have to worry about earning salvation or whether or not we did right or not. Now, we are, we are to follow Jesus and to repent of sin. But we don't have to worry about have we done enough because we know we've done enough in Christ. The benefit then is we can live free in grace and we then have the freedom to then think of others over ourselves. We have the freedom to be agents of grace so we can help others walk with Christ. So I want to give you today three ways that we can take responsibility when it comes to helping those who have fallen out of line. Three ways to help others uh, who, have, who are in sin in their lives. Number one, we can gently restore them. We can gently restore them. Have you ever restored an old car or an old piece of furniture? What do you do? You just take a jackhammer and go to work, right? No, you don't. It's a gentle restoration process. It's a very careful and delicate thing. And that's how it is with dealing with people who need to be restored. Verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. The word transgression has the idea of falling to the side. So they were walking with the Spirit. They were falling in line behind Jesus like we talked about last week. And then something happened, and they fell to the side. They got out of step with the Spirit. This happens to believers from time to time. Maybe it's happened to you. Maybe it's happened to someone you know. But it does happen. And Paul's advice to the Galatians is to seek to restore the believer who this happens to, to the fold. And restore has the idea of fishermen mending their nets. You know, that takes time to do that. 
It has the idea of surgeons setting a fractured bone. You have to do it correctly or you'd have problems. And so it is addressed to those who are spiritual, meaning those who have grown with Christ enough that they can feel somewhat confident in the power of the Spirit to do this difficult work. But he says, keep watch on yourself, however, lest you too be tempted. Just because a person is spiritual enough to do this kind of thing and has walked with Christ many years and is in line with Christ doesn't mean they can't also be tempted and they can't also fall out of line. So then he says in verse 2, bear one another's burdens and in so doing you fulfill the law of Christ. Now a burden at the very basic definition is a weight. It's something that is heavy, that holds you down. And we help others with the weights that weigh them down. Whether it's sin in their life, whether it's sufferings that they undergo or encounter, whatever it is. And Paul says to do this is to fulfill the law of Christ. Now, what is the law of Christ? Well, it's kind of a play on the false apostles who taught that in order to be saved, you had to keep the law of Moses. You had to become Jewish. You had to do all these things to be saved. And he says, no, no, no. Actually, you're fulfilling the law of Christ. So what is the law of Christ? Well, the law of Christ, uh, just in general speaking, based on his work, it is a law of love. That's what it is. Gently restoring others is the law of love. However, pride and conceit can keep us from loving others. Pride and conceit can keep us. Look what he says in verse 3. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. See, when we start to view ourselves better than others in some way, then we quit loving them. When we start to be critical of them in some way, we see someone who's fallen away, they've gotten out of step with the Spirit, they've fallen out of line. When we start to see that, it says that we deceive ourselves because we think we are better than them. This is what fuels gossip many times. You hear things like, can you believe they did that? Or did you see what happened to them? Or can you believe she said that? I can't imagine that. When we say these kind of things, it may be that we are generally shocked, but when we say these things and we talk with people about them, what we're doing is we're deceiving ourselves, thinking that that would never happen to us, that that's an impossibility. Well, let me tell you, everything is possible with God, but also everything is possible with the sin that dwells inside you. No one is free from temptation. No one is free from falling in that temptation if we fall out of line with Christ. So he says, don't think that you have it all together when you're restoring them. When we say things like that, we're proclaiming that we are somehow better than that person. And so we deceive ourselves and we believe alive who we actually are. And when we feel we are better than that person, then we're less likely to help them. We're less likely to love them because we're too busy pointing at them and pointing out what they've done wrong. And then we start losing the loving idea of what that person needs help. Therefore, he says in verse 4, So let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. What this means is that we, we are to scrutinize our own selves by the same measure that we scrutinize others. You've heard people talking about don't point your finger because when you point your finger, you got three fingers pointing right back at you. That's very true, and it's very biblical in that way. 
that when we decide that someone is not measuring up to some standard, like, can you believe they did this? Or I can't believe this would happen or this or that. What we're doing is that we're then making ourselves accountable to that standard because by voicing that, that we're displeased with them and that standard, we then are saying we ought to always, always as well fulfill that standard. That's what Jesus says in Matthew 7, 1, when he says, don't judge yourself lest you be judged. He says, whatever measure of judgment you're throwing out there, you are saying, I know that that measure exists, and so I too am going to be held by that standard. So I have to be careful with that. And that doesn't mean that we should lower the bar, but he says, be careful because test yourselves. Scrutinize yourselves with the same scrutiny you scrutinize other people. And when you do that, you have a better reality of who you are versus who you think you are and compared to those that we are supposed to be loving. But when we're not loving them and they have a burden, then we're just adding more weight to their burden. Verse 5. For each will have to bear his own load. That's what I tell my... That's why I tell my children when they're doing their laundry. Galatians 6, 5, for each will have to bear their own load of laundry. I'm joking. The word for load can be used to signify something as simple as a soldier's backpack. It was used that way in Scripture. It was used to just carrying weights. It was used even to, to talk about the load of a cargo ship. Can you imagine that? You see these big cargo ships coming into Charleston Harbor Imagine how much those things weigh, tons and tons and tons, versus just a few weights or just a backpack. The point he's making is that we all have our own burdens, and sometimes they're light, and sometimes they're heavy. So heavy that it may be too much for them to bear. So what we're called to do is we, we are called to help them carry their load instead of criticizing them and their load. So it says, let's gently restore those who have fallen by the wayside in their walk with Christ and help them with their burdens instead of judging them. You know, if you're following Christ and you don't have a burden, it's easy. But if you're following Christ and you have three or four backpacks on, it gets kind of hard, doesn't it? Especially if we're not giving those burdens to Jesus. He says he'll take them, but we hold on to them and we don't take them. And we, and we start falling off the side. Next thing you know, we've quit walking. And as Christians, we're supposed to take those burdens off and help them. That's what he says. It's a gentle process. We don't go over there and, and kick them while they're down and say, hey, you can't do five burdens. I got six. What's wrong with you? We pick a burden up and we help them. So we can gently restore them, and it takes time most often. Secondly, we can persistently encourage them. And almost, almost this is number two, we can persistently encourage them. Almost, we use the word patiently. But I, I like, and it can be patient, and it is patience, but I like the word persistence. Because when we think about persistence, sometimes it's a negative context. And that person, they're real persistent. We say that about people sometimes. But we need to be that way when it comes to encouraging people. We need to be like a persistent little gnat that you can't get rid of in a loving way, in a loving persistence, right? We can persistently encourage them. Look at verse 6. Let the one who is taught the word... Share all good things with the one who teaches. This is odd that he kind of throws this in here about teaching. The church of Christ is designed in such a way as there will always be teacher-student relationships. It might be a literal class where there's a teacher, but really it's just all across the sphere of life. 
You're always teaching someone, especially in God's church, about how to live, how to model Christ, and you're always learning from someone. And it might be different for different people different places. But you always have this relationship. And what he's saying is that there are some things that the teacher can help the student with, and there's going to be some things that the student even can help the teacher with, especially when it comes to burdens. So then he adds in verse 7, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, he will also reap. Now, he's, he's not saying that you can't mock God. You can certainly mock God. What he's saying is that God doesn't fall for it. You can't, you can't fool God is what he's saying. The grammar of this has the meaning where he says, do not be deceived of, of to stop deceiving yourselves. We know the Galatians were deceived on some level. We've talked about that. And he says, stop deceiving yourselves. See, often people will fall into sin when they think they can say they're a Christian, but they can live like the world. And so the world tells us this. The world will tell us, well, you can live like a Christian and do these things, and, and you're not going to you know, go to hell if you do this or do that. And for the most part, if you know Christ, that is true. But they take that and they twist it. And Paul says to live like the world saying you're a Christian is making a fool of God. You're mocking God, and you can't do it. God can't be mocked in this way. Now, here's why God can't be mocked in this way. Because there are consequences in having the presumption to deceive ourselves and tell ourselves everything is fine when we have really fallen out of line. There are consequences of that. Now, no matter if we deceive ourselves or not, what we have, what we do, we will reap. What we sow, we will reap. You can't escape the natural consequences of sin. So he says here in verse 8, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. He says this, No farmer goes out to his field, and plants wheat and expects potatoes to come up. Or plants something that's cheap and expects a, a harvest bumper crop that's very expensive that he can sell for profit to come out. They don't expect that to happen. That's not the natural way of life. But people think that's the way with God. That they can say, oh, I'm a Christian, I'm following Christ, and then they can sow something else in their life, and they expect to reap righteousness. It's not going to happen. If you sow sin, you reap consequences. You are forgiven of that sin in Christ Jesus, but there's still the consequences there that you have to deal with and other people have to deal with. He says God can't be fooled in that way. There is a nature to life. And so if you, you can't outwit God, but people think they can, and they fall out of line with God's will. So he says, verse 9, let's not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. You know, sometimes I think in life we just need to tell people who are burdened. We're praying for them. Maybe they just need to hear three words. Don't give up. Right? Maybe they just need to hear that. You know, I'm, I'm a problem solver. And so when someone comes to me, especially in my family, with complaints or things that they that, you know, that, that they, they uh, are worried about, I want to give them a solution. And sometimes I just have to sit there, and I've learned through years of life and marriage and things that they don't always want a solution. But sometimes I just have to listen to them and say, man, that sounds really difficult. Don't give up. Trust in Christ. Don't give up. That's what he means by this. Don't grow weary of doing good. 
Because if you continue to follow Christ, you will reap righteousness. You will. I'm going to say that again. If you continue to follow Christ, you will reap righteousness. You will reap the rewards. So do not give up. Keep doing what is right. And if you do, you'll reap a harvest of righteousness as opposed to a harvest of consequences. So patiently encourage those struggling around you to not give up on their journey in following Christ. Because sometimes their burdens are going to be too much for them to bear. So tell them, you know, continue to tell them to don't give up. Persistently encourage them. George Truitt was a, a famous pastor back in the early 20th century in Texas. He was a seminary professor and pastor. And, and he went out on a hunting trip. And this horrible tragedy happened. He accidentally shot and killed one of his best friends on a hunting trip. Can you imagine something like that happening? It's, you know, a lot of our fears that that might happen sometime, but he did. And his daughter said that she never heard him laugh after that. Never heard him laugh again after that. Just the guilt that he had with that. And here's the pastor, you know. He had a radio program. And each day when it came to a close, he would say this. He would say, he would say he was signing off, and he would say, be good to everybody because everybody is having a tough time. <laughs> be good to everybody because everybody is having a tough time. Every now and then we might get a day where everything's going right. But usually there's going to be something that's not quite perfect in our lives. And this is what he meant. He knew personally that what a heavy burden people could be carrying, and he encouraged compassion toward them. You know, we often cross paths with people in our lives, who seem to be difficult to deal with. You ever cross paths with someone who's difficult to deal with? It might be you that's a difficult one. I don't know. And sometimes to you, they may not seem very likable. But there's usually a reason for their behavior or multiple reasons. And it's often because they are hiding a heavy heart or carrying a heavy burden. Maybe it's a burden like a cargo ship they're carrying on their backs. And if we take the time to understand maybe what's happened, we may find that while they have a tough outer shell, inwardly, they're breaking inwardly, they need help, and they need someone to tell them, don't give up. Trust in Christ. We can be agents of grace like that when we encourage those who have fallen out of line. We never know the circumstances that may push them away, but we can gently restore them. We can persistently encourage them. And finally, number three, we can gracefully bless them. We can gracefully bless them. He says in verse 10, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are the household of faith. You know, one thing I, that's weird about families is we will say things to our family members and our siblings and our spouses that we would never say to a stranger. And we can hurt each other's feelings in a family like we would never say to someone that doesn't know us. And really, it should be the opposite. We should be more loving, more gentle, more careful with our family members than anybody because we love, we love them more than anybody and we live with them. But that sometimes that, that, that relationship dynamic, that closeness leads us to being more open and brazen in our sin than we should. But just like that happens in families, sometimes it happens in church families as well. We will say things to our brothers and sisters in Christ that we would never say to a lost person. 
And we can be harsh with people that we know in the church that we would never be the same with someone that doesn't know Jesus or someone we do not know. And so that's why he says this. He says, let's do good to everyone, the lost person, the atheist, everyone, the other person of the other religion, but let's especially be good to brothers and sisters in Christ. Why? Because the brother and sister in Christ that you're having an issue with is also being persecuted for righteousness' sake, just like you are. They're also suffering for Jesus, just like you are. Not only are they suffering in life in general, because life can be difficult, but they also have the added weight of taking up their cross and following Christ, just like you do. So he says, when we see a believer falling out of line, let's especially help them. Let's especially help them. They are part of our household of faith. You remember years ago when you could send your child down the supermarket to buy a dozen of eggs? You remember that? Your, your, your child could just walk many years ago to get eggs and come back, back when that was a thing. Can't do that anymore, really. DSS would probably be called in your house. But you could do it one day. There's a time you could do it. But years ago, you could send your child down. A young boy went down to the market, bought a dozen eggs. And I think this is funny because I went up to, to the grocery store yesterday and picked up some groceries and uh, put the eggs in the front seat, and I unloaded all the groceries we have. And guess who forgot the eggs in the front seat? Seven hours later, I remembered them. But Google says you can't keep them out for seven hours. So that, anyway, so they're gone. And I know some of you raise chickens, so we'll take some free eggs if you need some. But anyway, um, <laughs> but this boy, I thought it was funny, this boy also, he, he went to buy some eggs because my wife said, you got to go get me some eggs tomorrow. And walking out of the store, he tripped. He dropped the bag and dropped the eggs. The eggs went broke everywhere. The sidewalk was a mess. And he tried not to cry. And a few people gathered around, asked him if he was okay, which was nice of them to do. Told him they were sorry. But one man pulled out his pocket and gave him a quarter. Said, here you go. Maybe that will help. And he said, I care just enough to pitch in this much. How much do the rest of you care? See, when it comes to helping people who've fallen, sometimes I think we have an all-or-nothing thinking. we we got to do it all for them or we can't give them any time. Sometimes we just need to chip in. What if all that group of people all gave a quarter? That little boy's burden would be lifted. Sometimes we don't help people because we think, oh, I don't have time for that. Maybe you just need to chip in a little bit. And if you chip in and you chip in and you chip in and you chip in, then the church of God can come together and help the burden that that person is feeling as they have fallen down. We're going to have our time of, uh, our invitation time, our time of response here in a few minutes. When the band plays today and as we're doing that, is there someone in your life that has a burden that you know of? Maybe you just need to come down front over here or over there and, and pray for them and ask God to say, Lord, what can I do? How can I chip into their life to ease that burden for them? What little thing can I even do just to help them? Maybe you have a burden. Maybe you have that cargo ship of burden on your, on your back. And Jesus says, take, give me your burdens, I'll take them. Maybe you need to come down front and just pray and say, Lord, take this burden to me and then put people in my life also who can help me carry it that I'm not afraid to ask for help. You know, many people, if you ask them, especially Christians, they'll help you. Many times we don't ask. 
Jesus says, you have not because you ask not. Ask them. People will help. But who also do you need to take responsibility for today? Because as the man said, I, I, I chipped in, how much do the rest of you care? Caring is taking responsibility. How much do you care? Who can you take responsibility for today? Heavenly Father, as we close our time together today, we thank you for Jesus who you sent to this world to live the life we couldn't live, to die our, a sinner's death, our death on the cross, and through his burial and through his resurrection, he has purchased eternal life for all who would call upon his name. And Lord, in two weeks, we'll be singing those praises as we should do every week. Easter Sunday, what you've done for, done for us, Father, through Jesus, and we thank you so much. But Lord, today we know there are people in here with burdens. Some are very private, and we understand that. But just because it's private doesn't mean they can't reach out to you. So Lord, I pray that they would reach out to you today. Say, Lord Jesus, I give you this weight I've been carrying around. You take it off my shoulders. And, Lord, in your grace, I know that you will put people in my life who will help me as well. Maybe there's someone in here today that you need to pray for today. And say, Lord Jesus, show me today how I can chip into their life, how I can care in their life, how I can reach out to them as they've fallen away. How you can use me to bring them back in the fold today. Or just use them to relieve a burden today. Maybe they, maybe they are, are following in line and they're following Jesus, but they're just slowing down because of the burdens they have. Maybe they need someone just to say, look, come into their life and just say, don't give up. Just keep following Jesus. I'll help you. Trust in Jesus. Or maybe there's one in here today that's never placed their faith in you before. And they're carrying the burdens of the world, the burdens of their sin on their shoulder. And you say, if you turn to me, Place your faith in me that you're forgiven and you find salvation in me. That they would do that today, Father. Lord, you say that your burden is like and your yoke is easy, and it is. And so we thank you for that, Father. We thank you for Jesus who makes all these things possible. And we ask these things in his name. Amen.